Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 73 of the Snyder Cut. I am your buzzed host, well, not like that, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider, and we've got a jam-packed show this week because there's just so much news. I mean, it was like a head-spinning amount with all like the TCA stuff. We've got a lot of TV stuff. I mean, you know, nothing I'm like that passionate about, but we still got to mention it, right? Because I got to catch you up. That's why you watch this podcast, to get caught up on all the news you missed in Hollywood in the last week and my take on it. So let's start with Spider-Man 3. That's what everybody was talking about. Spider-Man 3, what's the title going to be? It's obviously going to incorporate home in some way. And it turned out it was uh, No Way Home. Spider-Man 3, No Way Home. Uh, obviously, this makes reference to the multiverse. Spider-Man is not going to be able to get back to his main universe or whatever. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't really know what to make of this. I don't really know why it was so such a big deal, why it was so important. Um, yeah, you know, I, I thought Home for the Holidays would have been a kind of nice one. But, you know, people have used that, ho- that, that title before, and it, I guess it would have been a little cheesy. Um, you know, I, I liked what they did with the Tom Holland reveals a title and then Jacob Babylon and then Zendaya and everybody's sort of throwing out these different titles because, you know, in, in other multiverses, maybe this was the title of, of Spider-Man 3. It's just like a kind of clever bit of, you know, a clever way to, to whip up some excitement and anticipation around, around this movie. Not that it really uh, needs any help. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to do like a 10 minute spiel on a title. I mean, it, it's, it's a title. It doesn't really mean all that much to me. Uh, we got in other comic book news this week, um, Sasha Kaye, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, she has been cast as Supergirl in the flash. And this was a very sweet video that Andy Machete, um, dropped, you know, where he sort of informed her that after multiple, you know, auditions, Zoom auditions and readings, whatever it is, um, that she had gotten the role. And just to see, I mean, you know, when an actor gets a role like that, like it's life-changing. It's not just career-changing, it's life-changing. Uh, and it was a kind of very special moment that we got to share with her. Um, having said that, this movie is also starting to feel a little bit overcrowded, right? I mean, it, does Warner Brothers just not trust that the Flash can carry his own movie? I mean, we've got like two different Batmans in this, right? Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck. Now we're throwing in Supergirl. It just seems like a lot uh, for a Flash movie. Um, and I like the Flash in, in you know, Down to Justice or was he even in that? In Justice League, whatever the hell he was in. I, I liked uh, Ezra Miller's interpretation of the character. He provided a little humor. Um, but at the same time... I, I, I guess, yeah, it's like, can he really carry a movie? And now he doesn't really have to because he's surrounded by all these other superheroes. It's like they're, they're creating another little Justice League here. I don't know how, you know, if Supergirl has a big role in this movie or if she's going to get killed off early, which is apparently something that happens in one of the comics or, or whatever. I don't know because I certainly don't read Flash comics. Um, listen, I wasn't a big fan of, of Andy Machete's It adaptations uh, or Mama. I thought Mama was overrated as well. So, you know, I've definitely tempered my expectations for, for this movie, even with uh, both Batmans. Um, Angel Manuel Soto 
is going to direct the Blue Beetle movie. I believe uh, he did Charm City Kings, which I, I, you know, meant to see on HBO Max, never got around to it. Um, The Blue Beetle movie has been in the works for a little while. This is the first Latino superhero, I mean, uh, you know, who's going to be leading his own movie. We've seen Latino actors, um, I feel like, play superheroes, uh, but not or supervillains, um, but never really be like the lead of their own movie. So uh, I was thrilled that my pal Umberto Gonzalez, AKA El Mayimbe, got to break this one over at the wrap. This was a really good scoop. Uh, Angel Manuel Soto is managed by my pal Jairo Alvarado. Really happy for him as well. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it feels like it's it's a you know about time um, that, that, we, that we did this. I don't know much about Blue Beetle. Seems like kind of a silly name, but you know, you could have said the same thing about Ant-Man, right? Uh, there was all, you know, the, the director stuff that got me excited this week. There was a lot of guys getting jobs, okay? Uh, Fincher, Gareth Evans, Duke Johnson, Soderbergh, Edgar Wright, Guy Ritchie, Scott Waugh, Timo DeJanto, John M. Chu. These are all... Uh, it, it was definitely a busy week, a busy week for directors, although not, you know, not many female directors there. Um, so let's start with the big one, which is David Fincher reteaming with his seven scribe, Andrew Kevin Walker. And yes, he is the, the writer of Fincher's best movie. Seven is the best. You can say Zodiac's a masterpiece, and Social Network is a masterpiece. But when it comes down to it, seven, I think, is, is the greatest uh, Fincher joint. And so uh, they're going to reteam on this project, The Killer, over at Netflix. Now, this was something that Fincher was developing at Paramount back in 2007. It's been around for a long, long, long time. Um, and it sounds like he, he, you know, Paramount put it into turnaround. He, he brought it over there now that he had over to Netflix. Now that he has a four look, a four look, a four year first look deal there or whatever. Uh, and yeah, he wants to, to get Fassbender involved. He wants to cast Fassbender as, as this assassin who sort of starts to experience an existential crisis. It sounds like a, a, something that I've sort of seen before. You know, it's not the most original jaw-dropping love line, but also in, in Fincher and Andrew Kevin Walker's hands, I'm sure, you know, the, the movie is going to be very special. Um, I like the idea of Fincher working with Fassbender. They, they seem to have a similar sensibility. Um, I think neither one of them is really afraid of dark of the darkness, so to speak. Um, and this was something that that uh, Brad Pitt was was going to do, um, and, I, and I bet I'm sure Netflix tried to to, to get Brad Pitt as well. Uh, Fastbender, though, like he could kind of go either way to me. Like I, I was really looking forward to the Snowman. That movie was terrible. I'm not going to put that on on Fastbender because it sounded like they just ran out of money and, and didn't even get to finish shooting the, the script uh, that that Thomas Alfred Alfredson had. Um, but I don't know. Fastbender does he makes some real head scratching choices, and I'm kind of thrilled for him that he got tapped for the lead in this because he he needs this. He he does need this. And I mean, you know, Fincher doesn't need this, but I, I was not a fan of Mank. I think it is a bad movie. I think it's a, easily the worst thing he's ever done. And, and this does sound like a return to form. Like this is what we sort of want to expect from David Fincher. Not that he wasn't entitled to go off and make this, you know, black and white movie uh, about old Hollywood based on his father's screenplay. Like, you know, it's like Tom Brady going to, to Tampa Bay. Like David Fincher, you've earned the right to do whatever you want. Um, I just don't have to like it. And, and so it is uh, heartening to see him back in these kind of uh, 
dark and, and moody waters. Likewise, Gareth Evans and Tom Hardy teaming up on Havoc. This is something that's going to be produced under Gareth Evans' first look deal at Netflix. Netflix is just getting its hands on, on all my favorite directors. And like, I don't have the log line for this one in front of me, but it was like Tom Hardy has to sort of go like uh, into like the seedy underbelly to rescue like this politician's son. And he's just going to like basically be kicking all kinds of, of un unholy amounts of ass. Uh, Havoc is a project that's been on my radar for like six months. I think I found out about it last fall. Um, and Gareth Evans has sort of talked about it online. You can find like YouTube clips where him and he's leading like the stunt team and, and some choreographers to sort of uh, do some blocking. Hardy's not in those videos, obviously, but I think Gareth Evans has a very clear sense of what he wants to do on this movie. And he's going to have a, a grade A bona fide movie star to do it with. I mean, I love those raid movies. You didn't need movie stars for those, right? That's just about action those movies are just uh, ballets of action. Although, you know, The Raid 2 actually has a really intricate kind of plot. It's very well written, I thought. Um, what was the, uh, Apostle was a stumble. And I love Dan Stevens as well. But yeah, that movie did not work for me. Um, but, you know, it, it sounds like this one is, you know, more of an action thriller, less horror-y. Uh, I, I don't know if Gareth Evans was cut out for horror, you know, if he kind of tried to take what he did and apply it to that genre, it just didn't really work. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking stoked about this though. I am excited for Havoc. Uh, elsewhere, Ryan Gosling teaming up with Duke Johnson, the, the co-director of Anomalisa for this project, The Actor. It's an indie and it's basically like this New York actor wakes up in, in Ohio with like no memory and has to sort of, you know, find his way home. Um, it sounds like a hard boiled noir. Um, you know, I think it was Fleming who, who wrote this story up on deadline and, and sort of alluded it, alluded to it being like in the vein of drive or something that sort of brings Gosling back to that territory. I hope that's the case. Uh, I, I know this is based on Donald E. Westlake's novel, um, Memory. Duke Johnson doesn't really seem like the type of guy who would drop a drive type movie. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what the tone of this is going to be. This is also a project that I'd heard um, Aaron Taylor Johnson was circling for a long time. Gosling has a full plate, so I don't know when he's going to actually get around to doing this. Although if it's, if it's an indie, those are... Know, tend to be a little bit more nimble and flexible than some of the bigger studio movies that he's attached to, like The Wolfman or, or MGM's astronaut movie from Lord Miller, uh, Project Hail Mary, and, and he's doing a, a stuntman movie with David Leach. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, where this comes, you know, uh, where this falls on his schedule, essentially. Uh, but it sounds intriguing. Uh, just before we started taping this one, my pal Justin Crow at Deadline dropped a big one. Steven Soderbergh teaming with David Kep on this project, Kimi, which is over at HBO Max, and it's going to start Zoe Kravitz. That, uh, you know, that makes sense. I'm surprised, you know, since she's playing Catwoman and Batman, that she hadn't really lined up much in the wake of that. Like, I thought everybody would sort of be chopping at the bit at the bit to grab her. Instead, she ends up doing this HBO Max movie. She's going to be playing an agoraphobic tech worker who discovers recorded evidence of a violent crime during an ordinary data stream review. She reports it up the chain of command at her company, but you know she's kind of met with resistance and bureaucracy, and she realizes that in order to get involved, she'll have to do the thing she fears most, which is leave her apartment and go outside. 
Um, you know, anytime agoraphobia sort of pops up, I, I just think of, uh, you know, copycat because I, I, I love Sigourney Weaver's performance and that and the way that she, way that she and the director sort of handle what it's like to be agoraphobic, what it feels to, to uh, you know, step foot outside those doors. Um, Soderbergh, <laughs> you should see the, the photo that's attached to this release. Go to Deadline and, and check it out because he has long flowing hair that makes him look like Brent Spiner. Uh, it's, it's really quite funny. And of course the photo credit is Peter Andrews, which is his uh, long time nom de plume. Um, but yeah, so Soderbergh going back to HBO Max, working with Cap and, and, and Kravitz, like this sounds pretty interesting to me. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing what that team can, can do with it. Uh, Edgar Wright doing the Running Man remake at Paramount. This is being produced by Simon Kinberg. Apparently they're going to be much more faithful to the Stephen King novel. I saw the Running Man a long, long time ago. It didn't, it didn't really stick with me, although it, it did seem to be like way ahead of its time as far as like, you know, people on TV watching a guy fight for his life, you know, against the real, real professional killers and gladiators and whatnot. It, it kind of had like a, uh, what was that movie? Um, series seven, series seven, right? That was it, Content the, the contenders or whatever. Uh, it it kind of gave me that vibe. And, and I am looking forward to seeing what Edgar can do with this and, and putting his spin on, on a Stephen King story that isn't a straight like horror movie but like a futuristic kind of thriller that could be interesting in edgar wright's hands likewise um guy ritchie's world war ii movie ministry of ungentlemanly warfare now it's a terrible title but the idea of guy ritchie sort of bringing what he does <clears throat> to a, uh, a period war movie um, in which Churchill sort of gives the go-ahead uh, to, to create Britain's first black ops team, like where, where they have all, you know, deniable, uh, you know, basically if they get caught behind enemy lines, Churchill can be like, well, we're, you know, these guys aren't affiliated with us. Um, yeah, I, 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 I dig that for, for Guy Ritchie, especially since he's going back to do, you know, he just wrapped or, or is about to wrap this Jason Statham action thriller, Five Eyes, like that's sort of his I mean, I know he's just, he just did The Gentleman, which was a return to the British gangster type of movie. I think Five Eyes will be a little bit more of an international spy movie type of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, I, this could be like Guy Ritchie's Kingsman almost. Kingsman meets Atonement. I don't know. Uh, maybe it just winds up being Guy Ritchie's Fury. Either way, I like the idea of Guy Ritchie putting together like a, a British Black Ops team. Uh, for, for World War II. Scott Waugh is a guy who, I love Act of Valor. Like that, that movie is fantastic. And then he went off, I, I think this was him. I, I do confuse him and his partner, um, his filmmaking partner, but I'm pretty sure he did uh, Need for Speed, which was bad. Um, and I think that they did something else after that. But anyway, Scott Waugh has lined up a new gig called Eye in the Sky. And this is like, it's a helicopter movie. I, I don't know if somebody steals a helicopter and so another helicopter pilot has to go in the air after him, but I like the idea of dueling helicopters, like just like a crazy fucking helicopter movie because I, we, we really have not seen that. We get individual, you know, set pieces, action pieces, uh, action scenes like Mission Impossible Fallout, which is fantastic. Uh, the, the, the duel there with him and Jamie Dornan. What if it was like a whole movie 
like that. Um, you know, Scott Waugh is a great action director. I don't think he'll have the budget to work with that Chris McQuarrie did on Mission Impossible, but th this could be a, a fun, you know, B action movie, you know, and, and I am looking forward to seeing who he casts as the lead. Um, Timo Tijanto got cast to do the, and forgive me if I mispronounce that, the Train to Busan remake for New Line. Train to Busan is still one of those movies that I've never seen that everybody raves about. Um, I've seen some of Timo's other work and was, I mean, I, I was impressed. I think he has real chops. I, I'm glad to see him make the leap to studio filmmaking. And, uh, and, and if New Line pulls the trigger on this movie, I, I think this guy could come up with something also kind of special. Um, he just had, he's just like a very kinetic, uh, you know, hyper-violent uh, director. And, and I, from, what it, from what I understand, Train to Busan sounds like a story that demands that kind of treatment. Uh, John M. Chu lined up the great Chinese art heist at Warner Brothers. And uh, what else here? We got Ari Aster made it official with Joaquin Phoenix on Disappointment Boulevard at A24. That, that was a project that uh, had sort of been rumored for a little while. Um, yeah, what, what was, uh, we were talking about, it was Ari Aster's bow, bow movie. What, what the fuck was it called? I'm totally blanking on it. Uh, I don't know if this is like the, the same premise under a new name or uh, I, don't, I don't fucking know, man. Um, what I do know, how about that fucking announcement about Brett Ratner's Millie Vanilli movie from Millennium? I mean, Millennium changed course within a matter of hours or days uh, where they were like, you know what? We're actually not bringing this to market. We're not involved at all. Then Brett Ratner's like, but don't worry. I'm still making my comeback. We're still doing this Millie Vanilli movie because I've lined up private equity investors. First of all, I, what is that? I, I mean, either say who, who's making this movie with you, right? Or else I'm going to believe that Brett Ratner could be so desperate to get back into not Hollywood's good graces, because I don't think that's going to happen, but so desperate to sort of make another movie that he may just be paying for it himself. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was the case. I also wouldn't be surprised if Millennium was in fact financing this movie just like off the record. I mean, the, the private equity investors, it doesn't have to be Millennium. It can just be Millennium's boss, Avi Lerner, who certainly has the, uh, the cash, so to speak. Um, listen, let's back it up here to begin with. Brett Ratner, you know, not, not like charged with a crime, but like clearly a very shady guy who just put himself in the middle of some bad situations. I mean, forget his own, like the LA Times sort of did a whole story about him and people, I think some of his accusers even, even recanted, but then he winds up in the middle of all the Charlotte Kirk stuff with, with you know, uh, uh, you know, the Universal boss, Ron, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I always defended Brett Ratner because, you know, when everybody shit on him, I was like, I don't think Brett Ratner's actually made a bad movie. I didn't see his Hercules movie, but the movies that Brett Ratner generally got shit on, I didn't think they were bad movies um, or, or necessarily poorly made. Um, you know, he just didn't hit any home runs necessarily. Uh, but I mean, I, Rush Hour is a home run, right? To some, I mean, it's not something that, that is like one of my favorite movies. I really liked his Red Dragon. And Brett was like a good guy 
to me, like I remember getting out of the uh, after the sunset junket when I was in college and uh, Ratner was like walking behind me on her way out. I was telling my mom how it went and uh, and he hopped on the phone with her. Like I always appreciated that about Brett, but at the same time, can't really overlook some of these accusations. Uh, and, and it's just, he hasn't owned up to anything either. He hasn't really taken any responsibility for his behavior. There was no apology. And, and I know I'm not one of those, I'm not trying to be one of those people who, you know, give me demand, I demand this apology or whatever. Um, it's not about me. But uh, yeah, when, when Time's Up came out and, and issued that statement about Brett Ratner, um, it was hard to argue with them. And then a Millie Vanilli movie, like, give me a fucking break, right? Like, do we need Brett Ratner to tell that story? No, it's just go go back in, in whatever hole you, you crawled out from, um, at least for, uh, you know, a, a while longer. At least until you, you basically take some responsibility for, for everything or address some of these claims, because they are, there was some pretty disturbing stuff that came out. Um... Oh, you know, speaking of all the, the Netflix stuff that we talked about, Halle Berry signing on to star in The Mothership, which will mark the directorial debut of Matt Charman. That was a story that I broke. Um, and yeah, you know, it sounds kind of basic. I mean, it's like a, a woman discovers an extraterrestrial object beneath her home that could explain her husband's disappearance. I mean, it kind of sounds like a, a, a bad network um you know show like what was that show extant that she was on i didn't watch an episode of it but uh i, I got the similar vibes from from this log line then again i really liked bridge of spies i think matt charman's a talented writer and if he decided to that he's going to make his directorial debut with this movie it must be some kind of story worth telling he's got an oscar-winning actress at the helm so you know i i will reserve judgment on that one until until we actually get a glimpse of it um, Benedict Cumberbatch doing the 39 steps from, from Edward Berger, who did Patrick Melrose with him. And then Mark L. Smith, who, who wrote the Revenant. I never saw the 39 steps. So I, I'm, I'm not like anti remake or, or, or Cumberbatch, you know, stepping in or whatever. It's just kind of, you know, uh, uh, whatever. Kind of like, a, you know, the, the next four movies we're going to talk about. I mean, John Hamm and Tina Fey, Starring in this project, Maggie Moore from John Slattery. I thought God's Pocket, uh, Slattery's first movie was okay. And he had some top-notch actors there, right? The Philip Seymour Hoffman, John Turturro. Now he's got John Hamm and Tina Fey. You know, not the greatest of, of big screen track records. Uh, I mean, this is this is a VOD play anyways. And I suppose that the, the, the premise is, you know, kind of, it's decent. It, it reminded me of Breaking News in Yuba County in that it's set in this small town where nothing much ever happens. And then all of a sudden, two dead bodies show up and they're both named Maggie Moore. So, you know, obviously somebody is trying to kill Maggie Moore and they killed the wrong one first, or maybe both of them are the wrong ones, or maybe one's the right, you know, I just... I, I I found out a little bit about this project, and so I included it in the articles. If you want to know a little bit more, check it out on Collider. But you know, what, what, like, is it, are people supposed to get stoked about this? I don't know. I mean, the, it's nice to see the indie business sort of uh, rebounding, and at least these projects are being announced, and hopefully, some of them will get made. 
Amazon announced a, a new movie from Jason Orley, the director of Big Time Adolescence, which I, I thought was a promising debut. It's called I Want You Back, and it's a romantic comedy starring Charlie Day, Jenny Slate, and my girl Gina Rodriguez. Uh, now, Charlie Day and Jenny Slate, you would think that they would sort of play a couple, but instead they're, they're playing uh, halves of separate couples who, who each try to help each other to, to reclaim their you know significant other back. Um, it's from the, the, the showrunners of This Is Us, which, I don't know, makes it seem a little soft. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. Is, is this going to be, like, funny? Like, what happened to the rom-coms, like, Knocked Up or The 40-Year-Old Virgin that were, like, really funny? And, and, and I just didn't get that vibe from, from this one. Um, it seemed like just another, we got, we got $20 million to make a movie and a bunch of actors who are available and, and a script that we think is cute. So, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Like, the, the, a lot of these projects are just tough to, to get cranked about. Uh, Zoe Saldana retaining with Frankie Flowers for The Bluff, which is about pirates in 1800s Caribbean. Mia Jovovich and Dave Batista in The Lost Land from, from Paul W.S. W. Anderson, uh, based on a story by George R.R. R. Martin. Like, you know, reading that log line, I'm like, this is definitely something I'll be skipping. I'm almost 100% sure. Uh, Mia Jovovich, I mean, I haven't seen the Resident Evil movies. I was like, the, you know, I would never watch Monster Hunter. She's just not a movie star in, in my book. I know that she is a movie star who, who actually, you know, has a, a successful career, but like that is not someone I would ever pay to watch in a movie. Um, and I'm not a Game of Thrones guy, so I don't care about the George R.R. R. Martin of it all. I'm not a Resident Evil guy. I don't care about Paul W. Anderson. Like this is just VOD direct, right? Isn't it? Um, before we get to TV, oh, we got a few more things like a Robbie Williams biopic from Michael Gracie. What, what is this? Who is this for? Is it just that anybody who has any amount of celebrity gets a biopic these days? What is happening? I, I can't even, I'm sure I could sing along to a couple of Robbie Williams songs if I heard them on the radio. But if you ask me the name, if you put a gun to my head and said name a Robbie Williams song, I have no fucking idea. Sorry. Spike Lee producing a Cthulhu movie at Netflix. Sure. Uh, again, is this like about, you know, sort of, I'm going to put my name on this so that this young filmmaker can get this movie made, or is this not like I'm passionate about this story? These are all just like fucking shoulder shrugs of movies. I'm sorry. Uh, Barry Jenkins and Pastel producing All Dirt Roads, Taste of Salt from director Raven Jackson. That's going to be set up at 824. Another one. What are these titles? All Dirt Roads, Taste of Salt. Who the fuck? Who wants to see this? Who is this for? Uh, Apatow producing a, a Lucas Brothers movie, a semi-autobiographical comedy that will uh, also, you know, the brothers will, will do with uh, Mogul and Paul, Jared Paul, right? What did something happen where all of a sudden the Lucas brothers are like this hot commodity? I mean, I know that they wrote Judas and the Black Messiah and, and I get that they would get writing assignments off that, right? They're doing a Revenge of the Nerds reboot or something like that with Seth MacFarlane, but like them starring in this stuff, just cause they're like twins who, who seem kind of funny. Like I, I like their stick in 22 jump street a lot. It seems like if you wanted to make a fucking Lucas brothers movie, you would have done it right on the heels of 22 jump street when they were like a thing. I mean, they're a thing now as writers. 
I just, I just don't get why now. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and a semi-autobiographical kind of like, what is this with Judd Apatow helping people bring their their semi-autobiographical stories to to the fucking big screen? Like, you did it with Amy Schumer, you did it with Pete Davidson. Those are like. I don't know. Like those people can kind of command like a stage. And, and I think that Pete Davidson is going to be a movie star. I think Amy Schumer, you know, could have been a movie star. By the way, she's doing, she's going back to her own inside Amy Schumer show. So like, I don't even know what is happening with her career in the wake of I feel pretty uh, and all that. But like, I don't put the Lucas brothers, I'll do respect. They seem like nice guys who I would personally enjoy hanging out with. Uh, I don't really put them on, on the level of a Pete Davidson or an Amy Schumer. And um, yeah. I don't really get this from, from, from Judd. Um, Rachel McAdams and Abby Ryder Fortson from Ant-Man are going to star in the, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret movie at Lionsgate. This book, uh, you know, Judy Bloom book meant a lot to a lot of young girls. Uh, I was talking to my sister-in-law uh, about this and she was telling me how she read it when she grew up. I think it's like a rite of passage that every young woman uh, reads this book. And, and I think that um, this is probably a smart play from, from Lionsgate to adapt it. They got a, a nice big movie star who most people really like and Rachel McAdams and Abby Ryder Forts. And, you know, uh, people know her from the Ant-Man films. She didn't have a big role in those, uh, but she's grown up a little bit. And, and uh, I think she's right in that sweet spot of, of we're looking for a talented 12 year old to, to be our Margaret. I think it's good, good casting. I can't argue with that one. Um, Okay, Paramount Plus. There's a whole bunch of Paramount. Okay, let's just dive into like the TV stuff. Paramount Plus had its a presentation yesterday. And I got to tell you, I had no fucking idea there even was a presentation. Like I knew Showtime was on the clock at TCA. I know I'm not a TV, uh, a TCA accredited reporter. Or, but like this isn't, you had so much stuff yesterday. This isn't just something that you shoot an email to the TV editor about. Uh, or, or maybe it just could have been you know, better, more clearly communicated, like the flood of stuff that, that uh, you know, was going to, to come out of this presentation. Because this really was like the Disney Investor Day for Paramount. And it just felt like Paramount whiffed, like P, a big PR corp come whiff. Because I didn't even know what the fuck was going on. Like, you got to make people aware of this shit. I mean, Paramount has always been, and CBS All Access... Don't get me started on, on the PR efforts over there. Um, but they announced like a slew of things, like an avalanche of shit. And like, if this, if they had done all this, you know, announced this, all this stuff a year or two ago, um, you know, maybe we would have been more excited for it. Now I just feel like Paramount is too late. They're like, you know, everyone has like their Amazon, Apple, Netflix, HBO Max, Disney Plus, like, you're like the seventh or eighth streaming service at this point. And it seems like, even though some of the stuff here, I, I think was, was impressive. Some of these announcements, there was also just too much. We're falling back on, on the history of Paramount and, and the mountain. And like, I just don't know. I just don't know how strongly that brand resonates uh, today. So some of the projects include and I don't know if these are new movies or remakes or sequels or reboots, whatever the fuck it is, probably series adaptations of things, but The Italian Job, a movie I didn't particularly like, despite it having a great cast. Flashdance, a movie, like, who... 
these streaming services need to be aimed at younger audiences, right? Because older audiences are still watching cable. I mean, when I go downstairs and I see dad, he's not looking at what's on the new streaming services. He's looking at fucking the news and extra and family feud and blue bloods. And like, it's just older people are still watching network, you know, broadcast television. So if you're a streamer, you should be aiming young. Flashdance, I get that that's a youth skewing movie maybe, but like, does anybody fucking, do kids know Flashdance? Do kids know the Parallax view? Not that, uh, you know, that was actually the one that I thought made maybe the most sense, um, the Parallax view uh, and, and Fatal Attraction as well, naturally. But like, like Love Story? Is it just the title, like Love Story? Because there's no way anybody knows, like anybody under my age is going to know what the fuck Love Story is. Um... What else? Jeremy Renner signing on to, to the mayor of Kingstown, which is the new spinoff sequel. I don't know what the fuck it is based on the Yellowstone universe. I, I think he's a great get. I know he was, you know, he did win River from Taylor Sheridan. So they have a history. Like he is, I don't know. I, I don't want to call him like a, a bona fide movie star. Uh, yes. He was in the best picture winner, the Herlocker. I think Jeremy Renner is a great actor. Um, you know, but like, what's the last movie that like Jeremy Renner was the star of? Like that Kill the Messenger movie that that made two million dollars or something? Like, you know, he he's a nice piece to have in an ensemble film like like Avengers or whatever. Um, still a, a really good get, I think, for Paramount Plus. I don't watch Yellowstone. I, I have some regrets about that because I've heard really good things about Yellowstone from my brothers from from Kroll. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I'm probably not going to tune into this. I, I don't know. Par yeah, Paramount just makes it, it makes it difficult. Um, they did announce that Mission Impossible 7 and A Quiet Place 2 are going to be streaming 45 days after release. This just seems like a, a stupid decision. I mean, well, maybe not stupid. I mean, those are big tent poles. Like, you don't want to just put those out on VOD 17 days later, like Universal, but it is quite telling that you got HBO, like Warner Brothers is knocking down the window. We're doing day and date this year on, on in theaters and HBO Max. Universal is like, we're not going quite that far. We're going to do a 17 day window. Paramount is still kind of living in the fucking before times, you know, with this 45 days after release. Now with Mission Impossible 7 and A Quiet Place 2, those are big, likely hit movies that are going, that were designed, you know, to be seen in a theater. Um, so I, I, on one hand, I think that Paramount is like, you know, living in the past with this 45 days after release and they sort of need to get with the times and adapt. But on the other, this isn't nudes of the world or promising young woman. Um, these movies are going to make a hundred times what, what those movies make, you know, or maybe not a hundred times, but you, you catch my drift. Those are, those are big blockbusters that are bringing a lot of money. I don't know that you just want to cannibalize uh, your theatrical window by, by putting it out, you know, two and a half weeks later. So I get it. What was notable about this is that Top Gun 2 was not mentioned there. Um, and I think that that's like, that's just not going to, to streaming until proper windows, you know, are, are respected. I, I think that Top Gun 2 is a movie that could have long legs in theaters um but yeah that 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 is the movie that like i said i think i wrote like that there's five movies that just are not going to go day and date or would never debut on a streaming service and, and uh, paramount had two of them the tom cruise stuff tom cruise movies 
they also announced a new Beavis and Butthead movie. I feel like I knew about this, but I, I couldn't. I was like, you know, are my sources talking about a movie or that series? Because I think that I thought they announced like a series reboot. Anyways, it's a movie. Mike Judge is back. Yeah, Beavis. I mean, this is another thing that seems like the world has moved on. I mean, I'm not nine years old, so I don't know if if nine year olds are still talking in Beavis and Butthead voices and doing Tommy pull my finger, uh, you know, shirts and, and just like. This shit was popular when I was a kid and I, I loved it. I, I remember talking like Beavis and it was super fucking annoying, I'm sure. <laughs> cool. Uh, but yeah, it feels like these guys have worn out their welcome and this is just like stale. This is just like Paramount scraping its library. Like what can we do to, to, to get people excited about us again? Because yeah, I just don't know that they're the answer. Um, let's go down the list. Oh, there is a Disney Magic Kingdom TV universe in the works from Ronald D. Moore, the guy behind Battlestar Galactica and Outlander. Um, I think the first show is called like the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Uh, and it's, you know, they're basically just going to like, we're going to cannibalize the park. We, we've got, you know, multiple theme parks all kinds of different characters and rides. And could we create a TV show set in this universe? You know, THR gave some decent examples like the climbers from the Matterhorn or the, or the you know, the, the, the boat captain from Jungle Cruise, which is already, you know, being turned into a movie with Dwayne Johnson. Um, I mean, it seems like a smart idea. It was probably bound to happen. And um I think if they can find a way to sort of weave in some of the legacy characters, then, then it makes sense. Uh, you know, like the, the Goofy and Pluto and Mickey and Minnie and Donald and, and Daisy and all that stuff. I mean, um, a friend of mine, actually, we've been putting together a script for a Goofy movie reboot uh, that, that would sort of take advantage of those legacy characters because they're kind of going to waste at Disney, it's, they're just not the priority. They represent a different generation, but if there's a way to somehow bring those characters into a new generation via uh, a Goofy movie, uh, we, we do think that that would be interesting, but maybe we got beat to the punch by, by Disney itself with this Magic Kingdom show. Uh, Ron, Ron Moore also said he wants to do a Star Wars series. Great, because you know, we, need, we need more of those. Um, Showtime also had its its TCA presentation and they had some big announcements. They said uh, that the Halo series is moving to Paramount Plus and that makes a lot of sense to me. Paramount Plus, you need something big to come out of the gate with and it was never going to be the fucking making of the Godfather series like with Army Hammer and West. Get the fuck out of here. So Halo, you know, I get that Showtime, I'm sure Showtime would have loved to have had Halo, but it sounds, excuse me, it sounds like the powers that be were just like, no, we're taking Halo from you. This movie, this show looks, you know, really good. We, we want to bring in these, these young, you know, gamers to Paramount Plus, get them on the, the streaming service. The only problem is that the streaming service launches in like two weeks and Halo doesn't come out until early next year. So it, it's a lot like HBO Max where it's like they couldn't afford to wait any longer. They had to just get in the game with whatever they had. And in, in HBO Max's cases, it was that, uh, it, it was the Anna Kendrick show, Love Life. Like, that is not what you want to use to launch a streaming service, but at the same time, you don't just want to wait nine more months to launch it so that you can come out with something big, you know? Like, you almost want to 
offer those free trials for the first nine months, six months, nine months, a year, even 18 months. Cause I've heard Apple has really been extending its subscriptions because people just aren't watching Apple TV plus like they have great, some great stuff on that uh, streamer, but the people watching all got, you know, a free year subscription by buying a phone or a laptop and they're just not renewing really. Um, Meanwhile, the big announcement, the one that threw me for a loop, uh, was the Ray Donovan movie. I am so pumped for this. I mean, Ray Donovan, I watched every episode of, uh, over the course of seven seasons. It's, you know, set, I guess it's not necessarily set in Boston. It's about a Boston family. Uh, but I always enjoyed it. It's a guilty pleasure show. You know, sometimes it felt a little long in the tooth or, or that it did jump the shark. But I don't know. In recent seasons, I, I thought it kind of got its mojo back. So... I'm glad that I'm getting to, to do a, a proper send off to the Donovan clan. I think that the show has earned it, you know, like, uh, especially with like Showtime bringing back Dexter to sort of correct its terrible series finale. They're going to get 10 hours, uh, you know, to, to do a revival. Um, and so Ray Donovan, if Dexter gets 10 hours, Ray Donovan deserves at least two hours. Uh, it's not just going to be two episodes, you know, back to back. It's going to be, uh, a real story here. It's going to delve into the Donovan Sullivan feud from back in the day, which, which brings to, in, you know, to, into question, are they going to bring back James Woods who was in the first season of the show and has since gone on to like become a, a kooky uh, Twitter character. Um, I, you know, I put a video up of, of dad because, uh, you know, we like watching Ray Donovan together. And so I left him a note and he totally, when he entered the house, he, he totally missed the note. So I made sure to get video of him. I marched him back downstairs and, and showed him the note. And he was excited about it, I think. I mean, you know, some of this stuff to him is just like, oh, whatever, I'll, I'll watch it, you know, when it comes out. It's tough, it's tough to get Big Daddy excited, but I thought Ray Donovan could have done the trick because all dads everywhere like Ray Donovan, just like they watched Your Honor. Like Showtime's kind of like got that dad market cornered. Um, oh, fuck. What other shit is there? An animated Great Gatsby movie. I, I don't know who thinks this stuff up. An animated Great Gatsby movie. Who who is this for? Uh, there was some Simpsons news. I think they brought back you know um, uh, Mrs. Krabappel to, to 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 say goodbye to to the bad voice actor who I believe had passed, and then uh, and then they recast Doctor Hibbert. Right, that was Harry Shearer, and he was kind of very stubborn and and not really open to letting go of that character um but but he must have seen the light or or you know fox and, and matt Groening showed him the light uh, for him but uh kevin michael richardson veteran voice actor who's worked on 70 episodes of the simpsons he is going to be uh voicing dr hibbert they did let harry Shearer have one more episode to sort of you know say goodbye but i believe um starting in march it will be kevin michael richardson going forward and you know i i think I think it makes sense. Like I'm, I'm of two minds of this. Like if someone has a really unique voice that you think, um, you know, you envision as the voice of a character and, and the character is black and, and the, the actor's white, I don't think that's the end of the world. So I understand what we're Matt Groening. It was just like, yeah, you know, I don't really see it that way. But on the other hand, I don't know. Like it, it's like Harry Shearer, Hank Azaria, they both voice so many characters on, on The Simpsons. I, I don't necessarily see like what the big deal is, you know, particularly if it was really rankling fans and like becoming an issue. Like, yeah, you make, you make the switch. I mean, it's, it's 
the right thing to do. Um, I don't think it's like a, a rule. I don't think it's a must. But in this case, it made sense. You know, I, I mean, Harry Shearer had voiced the character for like 30 years. Like, it, it's okay to, to give somebody else a chance. Uh, a lot of premiere dates and stuff. The Bad Batch is coming in May. That's a show I almost certainly won't watch. It's like an animated Star Wars thing. I don't do Star Wars animation. The Snyder Cut coming March 18th. Uh, yay, I, I can't wait to set four, four hours aside for that thing. Hallelujah. And then Loki is coming in June. Um, and, and I forget when Mar uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is coming. Uh, is it March or April? I know, you know, WandaVision is about to wrap up. Oh, shit. Anyways, we're just, you know, Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. And who knows when we, when we see Black Widow. I mean, it's still on the calendar for May, right? But, but you know, I, I don't know that I see people flocking to movie theaters in, in the numbers that they need to for, for Marvel and Disney to really open that. Uh, Samara Weaving is doing a Down the Rabbit Hole series where she's going to be playing former Playboy Bunny Holly Madison. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, Amblin is doing a Jewel documentary series based on the book Big Vape. And, you know, vaping, um, that, that actually does sound interesting to me. I vaped a little, didn't really care for it. Uh, it always made me cough. It didn't feel particularly healthy. And I know people have had real, you know, health issues. Uh, it, it, it totally can fuck up your lungs, you know, just because it's not a, a cigarette doesn't mean it's healthy for you. So that could actually make for a pretty interesting docu-series. J.J. Abrams is doing a new HBO Max show called Subject to Change. Uh, there's a G.I. Joe live action series in the works about at Amazon about Lady J. Who is at Amazon? Who are the executives who are sitting there thinking, you know what we need? A fucking series about the, the, the Lady J character in G.I. Joe. I mean, this is just like scraping the bottom of the bat. I don't understand this stuff. Is it just Hasbro going door to door? begging people to option shit like what is going on speaking of hasbro they set up an animated Transformers series at nickelodeon that at least makes sense i mean I, I grew up watching the transformers i think kids would probably enjoy an animated Transformers show uh, stars picked up gaslit that julia roberts show with who sean penn sorry half the cast has dropped out so i had to it took me a second um Okay, we're getting getting to the good stuff now. I wanted to plug my Tiller Russell interview. He's the director of uh, Silk Road. And we're going to talk about Silk Road shortly. Um, Tiller is a very smart guy. He's a good interview. And I don't think Silk Road was his finest hour. Uh, I think he bit off a little bit more than he could chew with that movie. Um, it may, it may, it may have been better as a series than a two hour movie, but I liked his explanation and, and why he defended like going with the, the feature format. Um, but it's it just, you know, it's my second interview with him now and I don't do a lot of interviews for the site. Uh, and I, I really just enjoy talking to him. So, so check out that interview and check out Silk Road. I mean, I know I had read this book about Silk Road called American Kingpin that I thought was fantastic. And so I thought, listen, you can, you should be able to make a great, great movie about this. And I don't think that the movie was great, which is, you know, so I was disappointed, but I do know people who haven't read Silk Road books and don't know much about the Silk Road who love the movie. So I, I think that may just, uh, depend on, you know, how much you know about the Silk Road coming in. Because it's a very watchable 
you know, VOD release. Like I, I would recommend it to you all. I just, I, I wanted it to be great and I was disappointed when it wasn't. And so it, it got docked a little uh, for that in my book. Um, I want to uh, wish you uh, congratulations to Josh McCuga and his lovely wife, Amanda McCuga on their new baby, Rosie Bernadette. One of my best friends is named Rosie. He is a, a redhead named Rosenbloom. So it kind of fit. We've been calling him Rosie since he was nine, but I love that they just went for it and named a baby Rosie. It's a beautiful name. She's an adorable kid. Congratulations to the Macubas. Uh, in weird news of the week, Lady Gaga's assistant was shot today four times walking her dogs and, and then the assailant stole her dogs. What is happening out there? I saw this other video that was making the rounds this week where this couple was just walking their dogs and then this car rolls past and then they kick the car into reverse and two guys come out with like a fucking assault rifle and steal the dogs. Are people like, we're, we're stealing dogs now? Like, I know it seems like it's just, oh, this is a, a piece of property and I can sell this dog to somebody else for $700, $1,000. You know, people pay good money for, for good looking dogs and whatnot. But like, this is like akin to kidnapping. This is a member of somebody's family who these people have come to love. I think it's totally fucked up that people are stealing pets now at gunpoint, no less. And not even like, I mean, in Lady Gaga's case, the guy pulled the trigger. Not once, but four fucking times. It is a crazy fucking world out there. Um, Thad, our, our wonderful producer, Thad Williams, he wanted me to make sure that I plug the podcast feed. They did give the Snyder Cut its own podcast feed on Collider. So make sure to subscribe on YouTube, on, you know, spot, I don't know, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so, I don't know. I just sit here and tape the thing. I don't know the technical de details. Uh, but yes, podcast, Snyder Cut, sign up you're watching this, you probably already are. Uh, we've got reviews, we've got trailers, and uh, one mailbag question today, but I did want to talk quick about the Nomadland mailer that, that kind of got a lot of press. You know, my, my boss, uh, Frosty, put it out there. Searchlight had sent him this wonderful sort of farmer's market spread with fruits and vegetables and just a ton of stuff in promotion of Nomadland. And some people were getting down on him. I don't really understand that. I mean, listen, here's the deal. I think we all like getting, everybody likes getting mail. Everybody likes getting free stuff, including reporters. I'm no different. I appreciate the, the packages that I got from, from Universal on behalf of Let Him Go and News of the World, right? But those are like the only two mailers I've, I've gotten, you know, uh, two years or whatever. But the point is that it's, it's not like, you know, Steve asked for this. It's all about like just the waste that, that studios have. There's so much waste at these studios, but the problem is that if, if the marketing team at, you know, Searchlight doesn't use its budget this year to send out mailers like this Nomadland mailer, which was for the premiere, by the way, you're supposed to use, you know, there was a premiere tonight, so they, they wanted guests to enjoy the, this food and snacks and stuff. Um, if they don't spend this budget, then they're not going to get the same budget next year. Now, I mean, with all the, the money that, that studios spend on parties and premieres and celebrations and, and all that stuff, I understand why those things are a necessary part of the business. I think, I think um, not only do people just enjoy going out and partying and having a few free drinks and whatever, but it's good to get FaceTime, uh, you know, and, and it's a very social town, social in industry. That said, how much, you know, how much money could these studios save by not doing these mailers? Could they invest that million dollars in a movie from a, a filmmaker of color or a female filmmaker, whoever it is, 
Uh, there's just, yeah, so, so much waste, but I don't understand getting down on, on Frosty. It's not like he's our critic. It's not like he's suddenly going to write a great review. He just tweeted the exact same stuff that he tweeted six months ago when he saw the movie, you know, at, at Toronto or whatever. Um, so I, I got to get, I got to get Frosty's back on that one. I, I thought the backlash to that was kind of silly. And if you have a problem, take it up with Searchlight because it is kind of wasteful and just unnecessary. Like I, I will tweet something good about your movie if you really want me to, so long as I actually feel good about your movie. You don't need to send me a basket of, of fruit uh, or food, although I will, you know, humbly accept one, as long as it's in line with, you know, the gifts that journalists should be accepting, which are generally under a hundred bucks or whatever. Each, you know, outlet has its own rules. Um, okay, reviews, trailers, mailbag. Let's do some trailers first. We got a first look at the Underground Railroad. I mean, we've gotten uh, tons of teasers over the last few weeks from Barry Jenkins, but this was a, a nice 30-second uh, chunk. It looks gorgeous. I think it looks powerful, you know, uh, visually dazzling. Um, and that's finally going to come out in May. It looks like a, a serious Emmy contender. Army of the Dead looked exactly like what I was expecting it would look like. A Zack Snyder fun zombie movie for Netflix with, with Dave Bautista. Um, you know, I, I like the, the kind of purple color scheme that they're going with in the marketing for that one. Uh, and I look forward to a, a longer trailer, uh, you know, in, in the coming weeks and months. We got a first trailer uh, for Pixar's Luca, which looks kind of cute. Um, I mean, not much else to say about that one. Check it out for yourself. Uh, Kid 90, the Soleil Moonfry documentary where she was like recording the, um, you know, her, her teen star friends the entire time in the 90s. Some really interesting footage there. Um and, you know, she talks a lot about like developing early and, and uh, the way that she was sort of treated in, in Hollywood, because obviously she didn't go on to have a, a big career. Yeah, she's coming back for this Punky Brewster reboot, which I heard is like absolutely unwatchable. I loved Punky Brewster as a kid, actually. I was a big Punky Brewster fan. Uh, so, so, you know, I'm down to check this out. I'm down to, to you know, ha have a little nostalgic 90 minutes and, and take a, a trip down memory lane. Uh, City on a Hill dropped a, a season two trailer. Uh, I've watched the first two episodes from season two. You know, I, I, I like this show. It never, it's never really taken off for me. And I do uh, worry that it's going to suffer without Jonathan Tucker this season, but they all, they're also introducing a new character, um, a sort of uh, a, a, a mom, a community leader whose sons are sort of uh, running a drug operation run right underneath her nose. Um Fall River, Blumhouse is doing a new, uh, you know, true crime series about some uh, some murders that happened there in the late 70s, nearly 90 years after the Lizzie Borden murders uh, shook the town. And it, you know, draws upon the satanic panic of, of the, uh, you know, of the 80s and whatnot. There's also the uh, trailer for the Netflix crime series Murder Among the Mormons, which I started watching. It was, it was kind of interesting. Um, Tina. Just an HBO documentary about Tina Turner looked like a fun one. Netflix did a little teaser for Jupiter's Legacy, but there was no real footage in there. It just seemed like a waste, especially given how like there was a lot of, I don't know, some, some hullabaloo around this thing. And then it was just like a fucking title treatment. And no one knows this is like an original Mark Miller property. So I just don't really get why you wouldn't show some actual footage. Uh, Law and Order Organized Crime is on the way. We got a full trailer for Invincible. I've seen three episodes of that animated uh, Amazon series um, and can't, I think I'm still embargoed. I don't know when I can talk about that one, but it, you know, it's like a, a more violent Saturday morning cartoon. 
Uh, the Mosquito Coast was a trailer that Apple dropped that I was just like, what is this? Uh, it was not what I was expecting at all from what I knew about the Mosquito Coast. And I'd never seen the Harrison Ford movie. I know that, you know, the, the show's star, Justin Theroux, his uncle actually wrote the, the story. Um, but yeah, this didn't really do it for me, Apple. Um, I also saw a, a look at season two for Mythic Quest, which is going to be coming out in May. I do really like uh, that show. It was just like a fun five-hour investment on Apple, just like Ted Lasso is. You can bang out these Apple you know, sitcoms in a day or two, really. Uh, and, and I think they kind of work better that way. Um, we got, I got to look at Annie, or sorry, Kevin Can Fuck Himself, right? Starring Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. Very weird premise for a movie or for, for a show. Sorry, it's like she's... Basically, it's like half of it is like a, a, a drama series and half of it she's like stuck in, in some other guy's uh, sitcom. Um, HBO dropped a trailer for its 2021 slate. You know, we got a first look at scenes from a marriage. Really, I'm just enthused that, that you know, Larry David is confirmed to be coming back for another season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, that was basically it for trailers, you know. It's just a lot, still a lot of true crime stuff. And, and I do wonder... I mean, I, I watch all of it. I'm a true crime fanatic, but like it's getting a little ghoulish to the point where like everyone's just searching for like crime and pain and misery and suffering and death so that we can exploit it and become millionaires ourselves, you know, because it's like the victims of these crimes. They're not the ones getting rich off this programming. And it just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's leading, it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth and we may be at a point of a cultural reckoning soon with our, you know, our bloodlust for these shows. All right. Reviews really quickly. Um, I watched some old, some older movies, not older movies, but last year's releases, I caught up with Songbird, the Michael Bay movie that he shot during the pandemic. I mean, he produced it, he didn't shoot it, he didn't direct it. Um, you know, de decent cast, but no, this movie was, was bad. It was lazy. It was tossed off. Locked down the the Anne Hathaway Chiwetel Ejiofor a, a movie at, at HBO Max like you know had had some cute moments was was decently you know written I suppose but like just didn't have the spark it just felt like all right we've got these two bored movie stars who you know why not try to shoot something during the pandemic and it just it never made my pulse raise you know like it was just I, I don't know if those two had the greatest chemistry either honest thief another liam neeson movie exactly what you're expecting i thought it was a kind of watchable guilty pleasure you know uh, you know what you're getting from liam these liam neeson movies by now um this one wasn't really any different crisis the nick jarecki movie with Army Hammer and Gary Oldman, this was another one that was like, okay, you know, I, I could watch this. It's a little long. It's, it's almost a full two hours, I believe. Uh, it just like, what is special about this? It, it is like traffic for dummies or something like you just, yeah, it just, it's a VOD rental. That is exactly what it is. You know, it is worth four or five bucks, you know, so you can spend a couple hours with, with with some movie stars, but it's just nothing that you're really going to remember two days later. Uh, Silk Road, we already sort of talked about. I want to give it a little bit more time in that, um, you know, to me, the problem was that, that 
you know, Taylor decided to focus on two characters, right? I mean, he saw them as two halves of the same coin, which is, you know, Nick Robinson's Ross Ulbrich, who created the Silk Road, and then this FBI agent, Rick Bowden, who sort of uh, ended up um, betraying the cause and, and helping Ross. And he ended up, you know, going down himself. Jason Clark, I thought, was actually pretty good in this movie. And, and if, if the movie had just sort of been about his character, I wouldn't have minded it. I, I guess I wanted Taylor to make a choice because I felt like at the end that I didn't really understand Ross or his motivations um, enough through this movie. And that's because there's so much time spent on Rick Bowden and, and his home life with Katie Azelton and like his, his job and going up against his superiors. Like I, I, again, I enjoyed that stuff. But it, it just kind of felt like Ross got shortchanged himself. Um, and I did think Nick Robinson was a little dry. He was a little boring here. Uh, you needed someone who, who, I don't know, felt like a leader and felt like a risk taker. And he just, um, I don't think that he worked for me here. I, I really like Nick Robinson in a teacher, but he, he just didn't seem ready for this one in the same way that another actor wasn't ready for, for uh, another movie that we're about to talk about in just a second. Um, yeah. And, and like, I, I wanted, I, I love the way that they actually caught the dread pirate Roberts. Uh, they had to basically catch him with his laptop open and his hands on the keyboard while he was logged into the site, which is a tough thing to do. You know, if he sees you coming, all he has to do is press a kill key and the computer just like deletes itself. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, that that state that that scene I just in my head I, I pictured it as this huge epic and incredible thing and and I kind of got the VOD version of that unfortunately uh, there's a little uh, an, an Australian movie called Rage uh, that's like a, a rape revenge movie um, not great and mainly because of pacing it's two and a half hours you can't you can't be doing these epic rape revenge movies with with you know unknown casts like I just. It, it was well made. Um, I don't know that I'd necessarily recommend it because it wasn't wholly satisfying, but I also won't say it was a waste of time. Um, so, so keep an eye out on Rage. If that's your cup of tea, go for it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a long fucking movie. The movie uh, that we're going to end the review section with is Cherry. I know we're running out of time on the show. I've probably already gone over. Cherry is a new movie from the Russo brothers starring Tom Holland. And I think, as you can tell from the reviews, this movie's a mess. I mean, really, it's like the Russos didn't know what story they wanted to tell, so they just told like six different stories. Um, why is it called Cherry? It's based on like maybe the worst portion of the movie, like the, the war portion. I thought the movie was better in its second half, but nope, this does not work. It was it was ambitious. I, I will I will give them credit for that, but it was all over the place. I, I don't think that these guys are very good directors, to be honest. Um, and it made me a little nervous about the gray man. It made me nervous about Tom Holland's career outside of the MCU going forward, because quite honestly, and this was kind of the biggest shock of it all to me. He just did not hold the screen for me. I, a young Leonardo DiCaprio would have like at least made something out of this movie, but it had he, he just has no weight. I would take him out of a fucking Spider-Man costume. And I, and again, I liked him in Lost City of Z or even in Devil all the time. He was okay. Here, nope, I didn't buy him as, as a heroin addict, as a bank robber, as any of these things. And that's a real problem. So Tom Holland, uh, you know, I understand you want to, you want to, you know, go make the Russo brothers follow up to the, to the Marvel movies and stuff. Like 
it's tough to turn down an opportunity like this, especially when you get to showcase all these different sides of yourself and, and different elements of, of what you can do, show off your range. But uh, I think it, it backfired because it showed that his range is kind of limited. Um, finally, we're going to end with a, a mailbag question from Sam Streak, who says, lockdown has allowed me to binge movies I've been meaning to catch for years. I've binged the filmographies of Anderson, Malik, Reichardt, and PTA. Is there a filmmaker that you've taken a deep dive into this lockdown, or is there a filmmaker you wish you have seen more of? Uh, Malik is actually one that I was, I watched, um, what was it? Uh, fuck. I watched Badlands, but I, and I wanted to watch Days of Heaven afterwards. Um, I didn't end up watching Days of Heaven, so I still haven't seen that. Uh, but 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 uh, Badlands was one of the old movies that I went and revisited. Reichardt, I just you know not really for for me. PTA is is one of my faves, uh, and and same with Wes Anderson. I assume that's who the first Anderson is that you were talking about. Um, no, I don't really go through filmmakers, you know, filmographies. I would say, or, or I just don't really watch movies like that. Um, yeah, and I and I have really been staying up to date on the on the new stuff. Only recently has that sort of come to a, a slow crawl, and now I have some time to go back and watch some older movies. I've never seen After Hours from Scorsese, uh, so it, it's stuff like that, sort of finding those unique holes in what I haven't seen and and catching up and, and re-educating myself. Uh, so yeah, that that'll basically do it. Let me just check the emails to see if anything broke while we were on the air. Do to do to do. And let me check this. Oh my God. It's just so much stuff. Meryl Streep teaming up for Broadway homage from Places, Please. There's a Moby documentary. I love Moby. I'm actually a big Moby guy. I'd be down to check out a doc about him. A24 picks up Red Rocket, Sean Baker's next movie. AGC uh, Panopticon, right? Shailene Woodley, Anthony Mackie, Jacob Lattimore. Um, O.T. Fegbenley. Cass as Barack Obama in Showtime's First Lady series. Uh, Helen Mirren joining Gillian Anderson in Lionsgate's White Bird, A Wonder Story. Okay, so we really didn't miss anything uh, too big. So that'll do it for the show this week, folks. Thank you for, for tuning into the Snyder Cut. I'm off to New Hampshire for a weekend getaway with my brothers, and I'm going to surprise them with a certain Bob Odenkirk movie. Don't tell them, though, because it is a surprise. Uh, can't wait to see it. Have heard very good things about uh, nobody. Uh, anyways, thank you for ordering cameos. I saw a little flux of, of cameo ordering this week. I do appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at the Insider, Instagram, cameo, all that stuff, like I said. And then stay tuned next week, March 5th, at the Schmodown, on the Schmodown. I'm going to be playing Dan Merle for a number one contender match to play Adam Collins for the belt. I've been waiting years for this opportunity. Let's hope I don't blow it. I probably will because Dan Merle's the best, but we'll see. That's it. That's all. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Watch your hands. Goodbye.